This is Priya Malik, Managing Director at Step Global Group. And this is Abtin Baziri, Managing Director at Purvey Capital Management. Welcome to the Investment Migration Report. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be investment, tax, or other professional advice or a recommendation to buy or refrain from buying any security product or service. The views and opinions expressed are our own and do not represent the views or opinions of our employers. Hi, I'm Priya Malik. And I'm Abtin Baziri. And today we would like to welcome you to the second season, fourth episode of the Investment Migration Report. Today's special guest is Connor Chen, who is joining us from Shanghai, who's also better known by his pseudonym, EB5Sir. Welcome, Connor. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Connor from Shanghai. So, Connor, thank you for joining us. And I know it's late at night for you right now when you're joining us from Shanghai. Um, you've had a very successful blog. And you've um, done a great job representing the voices of Chinese investors, especially over the last few years when it's been very frustrating for investors from China, given that the wait times to adjudicate and process uh, USCI's applications have become longer and longer. Maybe give us a a little bit of background about how you got involved in EB-5 and when you started your blog, uh, EB-5SIR. Okay. You know, 10 years ago, uh, China market, China EB5 market just getting started up. So I joined a regional center from Seattle uh, to replant, the, uh, replant them in China uh, for their projects. And after that, I work for a law firm from San Francisco in China to help China investors and agents to file their petitions. So after that, I learned EB5 a little bit and then found there are no resources for EB-5 investors in China to know more about EB-5, to know the background about EB-5. So I see that could be an opportunity for me to write something about that. So WeChat at that time provided the platform. You can easily write your blog and spread it to other peoples. So I started over... Um, over WeChat to write a blog about EB-5 from 2014. Uh, that's also the time of China EB-5 market booming. So, so that's fortunately the people come to use WeChat, the people come to make investments uh, over EB-5. So, so that's, I get started. That's, that's also my background. And you also have experience working not just at the regional center, but you also work for an immigration law firm in the U.S., is that correct? Yes, yes, I do. So, um, you know, for, for our audience and those that may not be familiar with, uh, maybe talk about what percentage of the total investments that were coming in in 2013-14 when you started uh, that were from China. Uh, you mean how, how much Chinese contribute to the the EB-5 in total? Exactly. Uh, I don't really have exact number or, or I can remember well, but I think it could be 18 long total investment over the past years. I mean, from the, from where no visa backlog, yes. So that could be from year 2011, 2010, 
to 2016, 2019, or 2018. 19, there are nearly no Chinese investor, investors anymore, but previous years. I mean, before 2018 or 2019, there, the Chinese investment could be a count of nearly 80% to even 90% of total investment in investment. That, um, that's my guess. I don't have really that number about that. Yeah, I think I might have read uh, statistics that in that in those timelines where China was booming from 2011 to 17, I think you mentioned, I think the total number of investors every year was anywhere between 80 to 90 percent. And I think most years, about 85 percent of the total market. So the majority of the investors that that really came to the U.S., the EB-5 program were from China. Yes, that's also a problem for the visa issue. So that's that's the reason. Yeah. And Connor, do you remember exactly when retrogression hit for uh, the Chinese investors? And how long is the current backlog at this time for Chinese investors to get their green cards through the EB-5 program? Yes, actually, I can remember well. I think everything maybe during the, during the conference. I think that's a IJSA uh, conference in, the, in, in April, somewhere in US. So the Charlie Oppenheim was invited to speak of the conference. He, he announced the retrogression will be started from 2015, or May of 2015, so, so May 1st. So that I remember well. That's also the hottest day, I mean, the hottest year for Chinese investment. They're heading up to make the investment that year. Okay, so it's been about seven years now that um, Chinese investors have been in this backlog. What has sort of been their feeling in the market towards EB-5? And uh, what have they been doing? Is the interest still there? Have Chinese investors still been applying in large volumes? Or have investors sort of um, switched over to other countries or other programs in the U.S.? Uh, yeah. You know, when we mentioned about 2015, at that time, the retrogression issue is not so serious. Uh, so from, I, can, I can't remember well how long, I mean, over the visa bulletin, how long the people will have to wait. You know, the visa bulletin may not really affect, affect the, the current situation. It just reflects the previous situation, not the current ones. So the previously that's that's not so 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 serious. So the Chinese people still try to make the investment at that time. Until 2014 or 2017, I can remember well, we got the data from IUSA about the previous years per country investment, per country investors numbers. So that reflects reflects the number of the issue, the retrogression issue is is pretty serious. That's that's over ten years. So that means the in two thousand seventeen Chinese Chinese investments came came to realize that the retrogression issue is not only four years or five years. That's over ten years. You have to wait over ten years, ten years longer to get your visa numbers. So at that time, the China market came to realize that. So they come to 
pick up other projects instead of US ones, EB5 ones. That's like a clean, uh, a great project with Portugal or Spain, so, so other markets come to, uh, come to attract the Chinese investors at that time. And, and, uh, Connor, I, I know, um, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of Chinese investors are frustrated with the EB5 program. So like you said, they're doing Spain and Cyprus and Malta and other programs. Are there, uh, is there still interest from the Chinese uh, investors now that EB5 has been reauthorized? And are there, you know, in your opinion, Chinese investors that are looking at other visa categories uh, that's not EB5? Yeah, you know, uh, this year, finally, I mean, finally, really finally, uh, EB5 got authorized and rewrited. I mean, so the, so finally changed the, the rules for all the issues. Uh, for Chinese people, always interested over EB5. That's always. Uh, you know, for American, a lot of Chinese people have, have sort of American dream. I mean, you mean, uh, you, you, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the idea of why they send their children to U.S. to get education, higher and education. And, uh, they try to, to try to have their children to get a job over there, living over there instead of in China. So they are always American dream. They always try to look at other options to immigrate to U.S. Even over past, uh, previous years, uh, the retrogression issue to EB5 is pretty serious, but the people, uh, here still try to do just like EB1 or, or L1 or E2, we try to find ways to, to move to US. So, so I can say they are always interests for Chinese people. And I just want to make a clarification for our audience. Uh, so every year, you know, as part of the Immigration Act of 1990 and then pilot program, there's, you know, something like, I think, 790 or 690,000 visas. 10,000 of those visas are allocated specifically to EB-5. But there are there were years in like 13, 14, 15, where a lot more than those 10,000 visas, you know, were used. And, and that those 10,000 visas are basically just any investor plus their family members. So if you assume the average applicant application has, you know, uh, you know, two parents and a child, that's three visas that are used against that quota. But there was nothing that stopped, uh, you know, fundraisers and EB-5 projects for stopping at 10,000. So there were, there were years there actually had 27,000 and 30,000 visas that were used. So what that really meant is that the additional visas would go in the back of the line and be backlogged. And there was something like 30, 40,000 Chinese investors, which was investors and their family members that were backlogged, which created this issue of retrogression, which meant now, you know, investors would have to wait longer years for new visas, the new 10,000 allocation every year that came October 1st of every year to be allocated for them to be able to get adjudicated. So even though 10,000 visas were allocated, there were years that went way over those 10,000 visas and it just created more of a backlog. And then there's another State Department rule that no country could be more than 7% of all the employment and family-based visas. It's a complicated formula, but any visas that weren't used by those other countries then got regrouped and put back in where Chinese investors could use those visas. So I just wanna make sure that the studio audience you know, kind of understands 
this, this concept of retrogression. Now, the last two or three years where there hasn't been a lot of investors from any country, you know, some of that backlog has been has been going down. And there's a couple other lawsuits and other litig litigations maybe that may add 10, 15,000 visas here and there that will help, you know, work down that backlog. So the trends are definitely going the positive way uh, and the backlogs are down. It's not as bad as it was in 2017 or 18, but there's still a backlog for, for Chinese investors. Um, lo love to hear your, your, your thoughts on, uh, on kind of the, uh, the, the new uh, legislation, the RIA. Okay, so for the uh, new, new law, the RIA, actually the feedback from Chinese, I mean, existing in, uh, investors, they feel very bad. They feel very bad about that. They feel betrayed by American and the region centers. So, you know, you know, the, the total law change since the visa reservation, the 32% of the visa reservation was taken from existing pool, from the existing 10,000 visas. So the people uh, feel that the American people do not like them, but the Chinese actually went to regional center years ago. I mean, long years ago, regional center come to China to sell EB-5 projects to Chinese investors. Uh, they, they are not selling projects. They are not selling investments, you know. They are not even selling green card. Actually, they are selling American dream. So the people in China prefer American dream and prefer to send their children over American. They, they make investment. But finally, they, they say, okay, American politicians don't like them. Uh, just like Grassi say, the, he told of the media and uh, he writes report to say, okay, Chinese are spy to American. They try to spy into American to steal some technical or some other things. And uh, his special mention about EB-5 is a way for Chinese spy into American. That's funny, you know. That's so long waiting why Chinese spy exists way to spy into America. But, uh, but that makes Chinese people feel very bad since, since, uh, the American people, American politicians, they don't, they, they want to take the visa from them, from the old, old times and then give it to the new ones to extract new monies. Uh, so they feel bad. And even to the regional centers, they do not, uh, you know, during the discussion of the, uh, the Congress, the, the powerful regional centers, they, they do not try to convince Grassley or the important guys to convince them to say, okay, even no more visa for Chinese and no more visa for UB5, that's okay. But can you, can, can you consider about to offer advanced parole to Chinese people or other long waiting people or offer the option to lock lock the the offloading the age of the children once they file the I five to six. It's once the people file I five to six, no one expects so long retrogression. Uh, but you know, in China, more and more children uh, age out. Actually, for the Chinese parents, I don't know if you have little idea about the Chinese people. 
I mean, the Chinese family, the Chinese family really care about, I mean, the parents really care about their children. They want to offer everything to their children. So they do EB5 for their children, but the, the, the children age out. So what makes sense for EB5 anymore to them? So that's, that's how the Chinese people feel. But anyway, uh, new investments, uh, new investors, they may see opportunity for the reserved visa, the opportunity to, to get their children to, to, to have the green card, or uh, for their children to be in U.S. colleges. They may, they may, uh, make investment and, uh, get the green card, get the, 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 the combo card to see in U.S. after the graduation. Yeah. So Connor, just to be clear, you're sort of talking about um, existing Chinese investors and their feedback or their feelings towards part of the Reform and Integrity Act, which says that certain visa categories will be set aside. So rural projects will have a certain set aside and, and some other infrastructure projects and uh, high unemployment areas, because then that takes away from the visas available for people who are already waiting in the backlog. Yes, yes, exactly. That's how people feel. That's really uh, unfair, you know. You can set the law before, so the people make the investment. You, you, you cannot do that after they have investment and you change the law. You, you change that and take the visa away from them. And uh, their children, I think many of them will be, I mean, even over, over, over half of the investors, uh, their children will be aged out. That's a very serious issue. For, for our audience, I want to just clarify. So under the, in the new Reform and Integrity Act, RIA, there are several set-aside categories. There's 2% of visas set aside for infrastructure, which is roughly about 200 visas. There's 20% set aside for rural projects, which is basically about 2,000 visas annually. And then there's 10% uh, of visas set aside for high unemployment areas, which is about 1,000 visas. So that, re that leaves 68% more visas. But in reality... Uh, very few, if, if, if any, are going to bring any project into the market that would, you know, be at a higher investment threshold, which is a million fifty. Almost all projects are either going to be TEA, rural, or infrastructure. So in reality, most projects that are going to be TEA, they have a 10% visa set aside, but that other 68% is going to go back into pools. So there's going to be roughly 78% of the visas available for high unemployment areas. And, you know, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Chinese investors have always been very interested in good real estate projects in, in, in big gateway cities that have a lot of immigrants that Chinese like to immigrate to by good developers that know how to bring on you know, good projects. And um, I think there is definitely a lot of regional centers right now focusing on rural projects. But historically, there hasn't been a lot of interest by Chinese investors in rural projects. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, okay, so far, uh, for Chinese investors, they still prefer, uh, just like w what you mentioned, the, the big, largest project in the big cities. Uh, yeah, so far, but, and uh, they worry about the Lulu area project. Uh, Lulu stands for the, stand for 
low quality, uh, some, some sort of things for Chinese people. But in the long run, the people will finally find, find that visa, uh, so, I mean, from my idea actually, uh, so all, uh, I mean, investors from all the countries, all the world, will will seek the opportunity, the six six to uh, seek to pick up the project in the big uh, big cities, the Lulu Alley projects. Uh, but so there will will only be very few investors left to Chinese people. We think about seven percent over ten thousand visas. So that's only fifty uh, fifty visas for uh, the urban area projects. So, so the Chinese people, uh, they can't really pick up the uh, city project anymore. I mean, after one year or two years later, uh, once the retrogression issue will uh, reflect over the visibility, so far there's no problem. But after two years, I think the visibility will be changed from the current for the rural uh, uh, for the urban projects to two years, four years, or I can remember. Uh, I don't know how long will will it be, but the Chinese people will finally uh, realize that the, they can only pick up the rural area projects for them. Yeah, and, and and the reason those those set asides were put together is because these this EB five legislation was fought for in the Senate. And in the Senate, you know, you have states that are more populous, like, you know, the New York and Texas and California and Florida. And then you have the states that are rural, like, you know, Iowa and Vermont. Well, it happens to be two of the main sponsors of the EB-5 bill are Senator Grassley from Iowa and Senator uh, Leahy from Vermont. And of course, they put these visa set asides because there wasn't a lot of interest in investment in their states. So they wanted to really kind of force investors to go to rural areas to get dollars in their state. And that was that was the you know negotiations that happened in, in, in the Senate to make sure both sides, the small states and the big states, were happy. But but I think you know there's still a lot of interest by investors, specifically investors from China, to invest in major gateway cities and areas where they do have a large immigrant population from China. For example, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York. Those are those are definitely markets that Chinese investors are interested in because that's where they aspire to send their kids to university. That's what they aspire to immigrate to. And that's where they feel more comfortable living. It's going to be hard to, to convince a Chinese investor to go live in Iowa or Vermont. Yes, yes, you're right. So we know that the existing investors are a little disappointed with what's happened with the RIA. And um, maybe the newer investors see a little bit of opportunity there uh, to be processed faster. But what's the feedback you're getting from agents in the Chinese market? I know for a while, you know, their business was booming and then, of course, it slowed down during retrogression. And how are they feeling about the Reform and Integrity Act and the reauthorization and all the changes that have happened now? Okay, for the agents, you know, the agents change, you know, uh, you know, everything. So, uh, after after EB5 market go down um, with a long retrogression issue, uh, the market change. So previous, once you come to China, you, you, you only need to visit five, 10, even 20 maximum in agents. That's fine. 
they can cover whole China market and they dominate most of the market. But today, it's changed. Uh, after EB5 goes down, the people come to pick up the Greece, Portugal, or Spain project. Uh, this, this, this project, they are pure Lewis project. You can buy an apartment over there. Then they make the investment for that and then qualify for your green card. I mean, Greece green card, not America. Uh, so that's pretty easy issues. That's not a huge project. That's not a very high-end uh, developer project. So you can, so every, just like the broke or various agents in Greece, they, they can do this kind of project. They can offer this kind of investment opportunity for Chinese people. So that's pretty easy things for, for, for investors or for agents. So agents, agents qualification, their experience make not big sense for the investors to pick up the projects. So agents cannot really control the project. So after that, the agents market change. So there is no, no big agents. Big agents, uh, they close or they come to become a uh, small one, uh, the middle one, uh, middle-sized agents. And the middle-sized agents, the salesperson left or something like that. So they become small. And the salesperson, they left the previous company, they found their own, com uh, found their own, own company. And at that time also, the China, Chinese government say, okay, for the, for, uh, for the immigration agents, you do not need license anymore. You can just register your company and do immigration. Five years ago, there are still a uh, license issue for the agents. So, so this year, a lot of, lot of agents come to, into the market. They are small ones. They are not really, all they are not really focused on the immigration. They could be uh, overseas, real East agents or something like that, or even travel agents for, for, for great projects. So the market changed. Uh, mm, they, they, uh, the agents cannot control the projects anymore. They, they, they may not have, I mean, in the future, once you come to China market, you talk to the agents, you may have to pick up more agents to sell your project. And uh, you may you may have to talk to uh, everybody in the market. So so that changed. And uh, for the agents, they, their feedback of the IA, this is the opportunity. Uh, but uh, for them, there are still a few bit, uh, a few issues. First, since the people left, they are salesperson, they are, they are consultants, they are the, I mean, they are person working on the documents. Uh, they left, they left their company. So the agents, they have to train new people. And, uh, yeah. And over the past uh, five years, uh, there are no EB5 business. So the salesperson, even the boss of the company, 
they forgotten what about UB5. They forgotten what about uh, the Maslow, the basic issues, how to calculation, how to handle that. They forget of this kind of knowledge. So they need change. Uh, uh, they need to be changed. They need to get their stuff changed. Uh, and also, they have, they still have a lot of existing inventors. These inventors, uh, is the inventors. We came back to them to say, okay, when can I get my money back? I want to withdraw my petitions. So they also have to face this angry in clients. So, I mean, uh, in, conc in conclusion, so this is alternative, but they, they may not speak, speed up to make the file, uh, so quickly. They, they need to get the people ready. They need to handle their existing clients. Yeah. And, and to explain to the studio audience in terms of, you know, the licensing requirements that, that Connor is talking about, um, it used to be you have to register with the Chinese government and for every location that you had, you have to put a bonding equivalent of about 300,000 US dollars. So if you're an agent that had 30 locations in 30 different cities, you can imagine the upfront expense and cost to be able to be an agent. But now that, you know, that requirement to, to be licensed and bonded is, is, has been lifted, and you can imagine that the industry is going to get much more fragmented. Um, in China, uh, you know, at one point, I think I looked up on the government database of, uh, of the registered agents, somewhere between 800 to 1,000 agents existed in China. But I could tell you probably the 80-20 rule came into effect where the top 10 agents in China probably raised something like 80% of all the money that was gotten for EB-5. And so it was very, very heavy, top, you know, top heavy. And then, you know, the top five, the top 10 agents raised the lion's share of all the funds. And what Connor is saying is that the industry is going to be much, much more fragmented. And there's going to be a lot of smaller agents that are going to do more volume. So it's not going to be so top heavy. And a lot of the larger agents, you know, they may have very unhappy clients. Some of it their fault, some of it not their fault outside of their control, you know, given that USCIS was, was, was really slow. And, you know, a lot of political stuff that was happening in the U.S. was making these applications take longer. But for that, for those reasons altogether, I think Connor's right. There's going to be a lot more fragmented industry. And there may be some smaller agents that didn't exist before that may be the, you know, become the bigger agents. And, you know, a lot of my clients, my investor clients are from mostly from the region we work in here. Um, our office is in Dubai. So um, our clients are from throughout the Middle East, GCC, India, Africa. And a lot of them have sort of lost confidence in the EB-5 program, in the U.S. government, because of all these things that have been happening over the past, let's say, you know, six years, probably. Eight year, yeah, eight, yeah, six to eight. Well, since I since I first opened my office in Dubai in that very first year is when they started talking about changes and price increases and everything. So it's been quite a long time. And, you know, because there's been no stability for such a long time, obviously, investors from these regions have lost confidence. I can only imagine how the investors in China must feel that along with you know, all the instability and reg uh, regulatory instability, there's also been 
the retrogression and, and all these things that kind of negatively impact China specifically. Um, so do you see now with the Reform and Integrity Act, now with kind of this opportunity you were saying that agents and new investors see with the RIA, do you think that there's going to be this renewed market in China? Do you think that China can get back to being the biggest EV5 market again? Or do you think those days have gone? Uh, actually, the days back, the days back, even a lot of unhappy or even angry uh, existing investors, the new, there's still new, new people, you know, China, China is still the biggest uh, country with highest population, right? I, I, I don't know if India have, have exceeded China, but still, uh, I mean, for the Chinese people, still, I, I mean, China still have really big base of population bigger base of middle-end or even high-end uh, rich people. So, and you know, the education is always an issue here in China. Um, I think you're familiar with that. The, the high, high competition for the Chinese students. So a lot of parents do not like that. They prefer their children to go overside, uh, overseas to get educated, to not so so much involved into this kind of high competition, just like to do exercises every day and night. So so that's that's a background. And also the political issue, I'm not okay to talk about too much, but you know well about that. So the people when they get rich, we try to Try to put their resources overseas to to make sure they they, they can secure their um, sort of things. And, and Connor, you're exactly right. I mean, I know we all know that you know education is such an important topic for a Chinese family, and you know their kids' education is really uh, one of the main reasons that Chinese investors have immigrated to the U.S. to make sure. Their children can go to one of the 300 plus elite universities the United States has. For that reason, I think U.S. is always going to be a top destination. Canada has universities nowhere near the number that U.S. has. But a country like Cyprus or Malta or Greece, there's very few universities. There's not enough supply of universities yeah. for Chinese investors to feel comfortable to immigrate to where the kids can go to secondary education. And that really sets the United States apart. Uh, but I also understand the frustration that the Chinese investors have. I mean, they've done everything we, you know, the government has asked them to do. They've, you know, they've, they've invested the 500000 Now it's going to be 800000 They, You know, they've spent the legal fees. They've waited. They waited. And, you know, and, and really there hasn't been anyone that's advocated for these Chinese investors. I think, Connor, you know, my hat's off to you. You've done a great job advocating for the investors. Investors are frustrated from China. There's all kinds of different reasons why they're frustrated. But you've done a good job, you know, with your blog and, and putting out information to really help them understand what's going on. And, you know, even, even some of the Chinese agents that have spent money, you know, lobbying in the U.S., they haven't really advocated, those large Chinese agents haven't advocated for investors. They've advocated for themselves. They've been lobbying, all, all they've been lobbying about is so that their government is not going to require them to disclose how much fees they're making. But they're not really advocating for more visas. They're not advocating for the things that the investors care about. 
the agents have been, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying all of them, there's a lot of good agents out there, but a few of them, three bad apples, been advocating really for their own self-interest, not for the investor's self-interest. So you have all these, you know, 50 to 100,000 Chinese investors that have gone through this EB-5 program with really no one looking out for them. And it's just, it's frustrating for them. And really it should be frustrating for us because they help generate so much economic activity to get us out of the last recession, to create so many hotel jobs, so many real estate jobs, so many development jobs that wouldn't have happened if it were not for the for Chinese investors to DB5 program. Uh, yes, you're right. You know, uh, that's also uh, an issue. Uh, that also will be an issue for the for the China market, you know, just like the terms in I to say, okay, the agents have to disclose. Uh, I, I don't know if regional center have to disclose. Uh, I think that should be regional center to have to disclose the commission paid to the agents in the office documents. So I, I don't know how the investors feel about that. When you saw the, the offering document to say, okay, there are over 50,000 US dollars or 80,000 US dollars will be offered to the agents, but they just did very few things to keep them to pick up projects. So how do they feel about that? Yeah, that's the issue. If you could have gone back and spoken to the US government, on yes. behalf of EB-5 market in China and the existing investors, what are some of the main points that you would have put forward in order to help the investors in China? Uh, okay. Yeah, mm, that's a good question. That's not easy, actually. I don't know. Uh, first of all, I like to say, okay, offer more ways and numbers to Chinese people. That's what I'd like, really like to say, but I don't think they can do that. Uh, they regulate the markets, they regulate the regional centers, they regulate the agents. That's, that's good. That's good. Uh, but they have to, some practice, they have, uh, they have to make sure uh, everybody can follow the law, just like the law say, okay, regional centers to disclose commission to to agents to sh to share this information uh, to the investors to make investors to make clear informed decision but that's not easy in china market uh, most of the investors they do not see the offering documents before they make investment the agents maybe give them the sign signing up page only not the whole documents. That's only the page for them sign up. So that's all. Um, there's still a lot of education to do, but that's not easy. So how the US government will handle that? How SEC will handle that? If no offer, offering got documents got read, uh, written by the investors and they make investments, can SEC call this unqualified investment and the investor can get the money back once they finally find that? I don't think so. So that's not easy. So if anything I can tell to US government, so, so just to ask them to, to make sure the law can be followed. Yeah, I think, I think it's important. You know, I, I don't really understand why 
anyone would want less transparency. I think more transparency is, is better. I mean, the, the commission structure that the agents are charging projects is not a big secret. I think for the most part, they're within the same range. Um, you know, but a lot of, I think Chinese agents are just turned off by the fact that they have to be more compliant, you know, more, more transparent. We welcome that. But I think the reason that, that, that the government, you know, is doing that is, you know, there was a project in Chicago that was a big failure. And for a $500,000 investment, they were paying a $250,000 commission. I mean, to pay a 50% commission, you, you got to know that that's got to be fraud. There's no way a project can pay 50% of the commissions and pay the investment back and still be successful. So really, the reason that the government is asking for, for this, for this transparency is to you know, have SEC keep an eye out. If someone's paying that high a commission, chances are that project is, is not, not going to be successful. And it's really just more of a, uh, you know, um, uh, being ready to see if there's, there's kind of these red flags, like a higher commission. But I don't think their goal is to, 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 to care about you know, who's making what, but the more transparency and, and something like this would raise red flags is really to protect the investors to know ahead of time, hey, if this project is paying 50% commissions, something is wrong. They're, they're not intending to pay these investors back. And that's when the regulators can step in and protect the investors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think in the future, uh, after the new law come to to take effect, uh, the the pure fraud project should be very few. From my idea, since the regional center and the project will be audited. So that's good, but uh, you know, on the on, on the market side, on the selling side, uh, to Chinese investors, they do not have. I mean, they do not handle the the English well. You cannot read often documents. Even they cannot, they will not be offered with the often documents. So, so how SEC or U.S. government handle that that point of view? issues that would be critical from my side yeah i mean speaking as a consultant myself of course not in the chinese market and in a different market obviously this um disclosure that's required is going to be a big change and i do know a lot of um other consultants and agents that aren't very happy about it but my viewpoint on that is i think they're main concern is is that it's going to slow down business and people are going to just want to kind of undercut and negotiate too much knowing that when they know a certain amount of money is going towards an agent they want to try to negotiate the agent out of that money <laughs> and i think that's yeah, the yeah. main concern right um yeah. but at the same time it's going to become sort of just uniform throughout the market just like how they set admin fees for example and the admin fees become similar or the same for every single project that's offered on the market it's going to be the same thing every agent every consultant is going to have to disclose this what they're making and it'll sort of just become commonplace in the market investors will get used to it and and i think it will be fine um but yeah i mean i can i can understand from that point of view, how it is a little scary for agents and consultants to have to make this change. But of course, it, the transparency is good for investors, I think, in the long run. And it's also good for consultants and agents because, you know, you don't want to. Transparency is great because it protects you legally as well at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I think all of this, these are good changes in the long term. 
Yeah, and I think investors shouldn't just listen to agents, you know, blindly. I mean, there was a lot, you know, some agents have raised 7,000 investors, so they had a machine. And, you know, a lot of investors just took everything they said, you know, uh, for, for, for face value. But now I think investors are going to have to do their own due diligence, you know, hire a firm that understands real estate capital stack, you know, what it means to be a senior loan, what it means to be mezzanine junior, what it means to, you know, to have more risk than that. So I think agents that actually have their own in-house underwriting capability where they can underwrite those real estate projects the same way a bank would do in the United States, I think those agents are going to be much more successful. And the agents that are just pure marketing and, you know, they try to, you know, it's, it's as if they're selling a used car or if they're selling a house, those agents won't be successful. The ones that really dig in and understand underwriting are going to be successful. And we had an interview earlier with, with Ron Clasco. And in terms of wait wait times for Chinese investors, you know, he he, he made us understand and this was kind of new to me that the lowest wait times will be uh, regular TEA projects that are have an expedite, then a little bit slower than that, but still fast, will be rural and infrastructure projects, and then slower than that are just any other TEA projects. So another another trend that I think is very positive for the Chinese market is in the RIA where investors that are here on another visa category, whether H1, F1, you know, even uh, even uh, a tourist visa can actually stay here and apply for the green card while they're waiting for the EB-5 process. So even if there's a wait time of seven years or eight years for China, that may actually be more palatable to Chinese investors because they don't have to wait for their green card application, their IA-29 to be approved. They can actually wait in the U.S., and I think that's going to be a game changer. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Ron. Uh, yes, you are right. I think... Uh, you're right. For the for the families with children already uh uh I mean go to the college in U.S. I think that's the best opportunity to, to them. So they they can co-current filing um for it five. So that's easy for them, and uh, they do not need to worry about the five to six approval. They do not need to worry about the possible coming retrogression issue. As far as today, there are no retrogression issue of the visibility. That's fine. They file 526, they file at the same time, they file uh, 485. So at least they can, they can get the combo card uh, approved during this time. So even after one year, after they got the, the 526 approved, they are still Retrogression issue come comes out for for this category. That's still fine for them. They can keep the combo combo card until uh visa available uh, visa available for them. So I think the I think that that's good issue for them. So that's also the big market. If if any suggestion I can to give to you, that's to focus on this these guys. So 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 this the this the most possible kinds for you what what are what are some of the other things that investors are frustrated about in china what are you know you know things that you hear where investors are telling you i'm frustrated because this this and this and you know i know we've talked about the, the obvious one the wait times uh you know i, I think that you, know, you mentioned investors have this feeling that the u.s government is not you know taking them seriously or, or putting emphasis on how important they have been in terms of creating all these jobs for the U.S. market. But what are some of the other frustrations that investors have that, uh, that you know, hopefully you could be a good voice for that we can understand better here, here in the U.S. And, and people that operate regional centers? 
sorry, uh, I, uh, I didn't get what you mean about about. Uh, yeah, just just so I know we've we've talked about how investors are frustrated because of the wait times. Yeah, uh, and 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 maybe the U.S. government not taking them seriously. But so, what some of the other things that investors are frustrated about, and what are some of the other things you're hearing from the Chinese marketplace as this new legislation is passed? Uh, you mean besides the the retrogression issues, there uh, are there any issues concern about the thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, let me think about that. <laughs> so, sure. So first, I think. First, I think uh, the issue about is that's not so easy to handle the fraud issue. Um, you know, every you know so far every week I will post. Uh, I'll have a post a week about the the people looking for their team members. You know, the team member is the 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 investors in, invested in the same projects. So there, I can't I can't tell how much, but there are four hundred or or something so far. Uh, the investors in this so four hundred projects they are looking for their uh, same same investors uh, in in uh, looking for the investors in the same project. A lot of projects they have issues. They have issues just like bankrupt for the project, or the regional center do not want to pay pay back the money even it's too nine approved um, for the. L two six do not approve for some reasons. Of uh, the fraud project has been should be by ICC. So a lot of issues, but uh, that's not easy for Chinese people or for Chinese investors. They try to check or chase these kind of issues. It's it's hard for them to find a qualified lawyer in the US. And uh, even with lawyers, that's pretty hard to fight over the uh, U.S. court. That's pretty hard. Uh, since the developer regional center, I mean, the fraud guys, they may have much more money based from the investors. They are pretty rich. They can pay 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 well uh, to the lawyers. They can find best lawyer to to defend for them. So that's not easy, um, and uh, even for the fraud project, if the government says yes fraud, but the investors they they will take, uh, they will take the risk if the pro project do not create the jobs, if they finally they cannot get the green card, if the project they took the money and gone away, the developer. They cannot get the money back, and uh, that's pretty difficult. Uh, even just like, for example, years ago, there is a lawyer in San Francisco. Uh, I don't know if you remember the name, but uh, I don't know when to, to one went to mention that. But the lawyer took the money uh, to, to try to mislead the investor to say, okay, 
I pick up a region center project for you. Actually, that's a region center lead controlled by the lawyers. And uh, the, finally, SEC, FB, uh, SEC, yeah, uh, sue, sue her, and the FBI tried to catch, catch her, but uh, she buy a passport and left US and left China and no one can find her. So uh, for Chinese people, they cannot get money back. And the project also also have some problem. Their investor come to me uh, weeks ago to say, okay, how I can do that? Uh, could you tell me how can I keep my green card? Uh, how can I get my 829 approved? So how can I do that? Uh, how government, how US government will handle my situation? I say, uh, you have to do this, you have to uh, make sure that, you have to make the job quickly. But the regional center closed. There are no people in charge. So how can they do that? So that's very, very situation for them. So um, that's, that's, that's all the issues Chinese people do not feel good. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, obviously for investors, the two most important things is making sure they choose a project that has track record in EB-5 so they can get their green card. But more importantly, you know, make sure that they invest in a project that's underwritable so they can get their money back. You know, there's a there's a concept in uh, EB-5 in order for you to qualify for the jobs, you have to invest in a project where the dollars are at risk. It can be a guaranteed loan. It can be any kind of guarantee where or, you know, you can't, you know, you, you can't have a condo in the back end or you know, real estate property in exchange for investment. Your, your dollars actually have to be at risk. But that doesn't mean your dollars have to be risky. It doesn't have to be a risky project. It just means it has to be at a normal real estate risk. And I think, you know, there's definitely a lack of uh, underwriting by the agents. You know, I think sometimes in the past, uh, you know, they would basically look at who's given them the highest commission. You know, I think that a lot of that cleaned up in 2015, 16, 17, a lot of agents got smarter and actually started underwriting and, and really understanding, you know, U.S. capital stack. At the end of the day, the, the agents are fiduciaries for the investors. They have to make sure that the investors get paid back. But also from a business perspective, if you put investors in a, in a project that blows up, then you're not going to get investors anymore. You're going to lose credibility. And, you know, for, for that reason, I think some of the bigger agents may, may no longer be around because, you know, a lot of them have you know, projects that have, fall into trouble. But, you know, the, there's nothing that stops investors from, from doing their own due diligence, hire a third party firm to make sure that, the, you know, what they're investing in their projects, you know, dollars in, it's a viable project. It's a viable real estate project. You know, me, for example, at Purvey, we only underwrite assets that, asset classes where we know there's a market where the investors, you know, the project can refinance, pick the investors back. That means multifamily, hotels, office, retail, mixed use, maybe industrial. Those are the only categories where there's a there's a you know market for for refinance. If you're investing in a ski resort, or if you invest in a wheel project or a water park, things that Wall Street doesn't refinance, you know you have to pay additional attention to that because in order for the for the projects to pay you back, the project has to sell that project. So you know investors need to understand that. I think you know having uh, due diligence firms or agents that have their own in-house due diligence is going to be very, very much more important to, you know, to make sure the investors are protected. And I think that's something that's been lacking in the Chinese market. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the issue. So Connor, how many uh, followers do you have in your, uh, in your WeChat group? 
so far the seventy thousand around. Wow. Seven seventy thousand. That's that's a big number in China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Based on the population. For EB five it is though. For EB five it's a big number. Yeah, for EB five, that's huge. I mean that's probably all of the Chinese investors that ever come to the E B five program. You know, it's it's very admirable. And you know, I think it's important for people like you that are representing investors that you get you get to talk to investors on a daily basis, they follow your block. I think it's important for us in the US to listen and give a voice to investors and give a voice to people like you that are advocating for the investors because you know, a lot of times people in Congress, you know, they look at Chinese investors as a number, and even the people that are relating to legislations, uh, they don't understand these are people's lives, these are people who have contributed their life savings. Not everyone is a multimillionaire or a billionaire. People are selling their homes, putting that money up to give a good life for their kids so the kids can have the American dream, can emigrate to the U.S., go to good secondary education. And I think it's important for us to, to hear from people like you and hear from the investors. Yes, you're right. You know, that's very funny for the, for the ridiculous, uh, for grossly called Chinese investors spy, you know, that's, that's really hurting. So uh, these these people, the Chinese EB five investors, these uh, these people in China market, uh, in in China, they they are the 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 last one to be the spy for 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 China to US. You know, they prefer the freedom. They prefer the uh, what you call the liberty to to pay for this kind of American dream, but the finally they make the investment and they being called spy and so you can go back to your home. So <laughs> that's very bad. No, no, I agree. I mean even even countries like North Korea or Iran or Syria, they're allowed to have investors. Yeah. Just because you know people live in those countries doesn't mean that they agree with their government. They want a new government. They want to come to the US and become Americans and we Good. should applaud that. Every country mm -hmm should be allowed to invest and we should never have quotas and what what country gets to come to the u.s these are all people that are going to contribute to the u.s economy they're going to pay taxes they they're you know bringing the dollars in and invest in here and their kids are going to go to school and they're going to be part of our economy and and we should applaud that i agree with you yeah exactly so connor do you have any final thoughts that you might want our audience to know um anything that you want to say to our audience before we close off, uh, for what? Sorry. Uh, so for 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 your regional center audience, or for lawyers, or for investors, or for for everyone. So anything, for everyone, anything you want anyone to know about your specific, you know, the Chinese market, the investors that you represent and that you speak for, um, whether it's for the government, whether it's for legal or other investors to know from other countries? Is there anything, any last comments that you might have? Okay. Uh, thank you for that. I'd like to say, if I have a chance to say, talk to US government to say, okay, Chinese investors, they are, they are really looking for American dreams, not to, not to support here the government. So, so, so to appreciate their efforts offer them opportunities. And for EB5 regional centers, please uh, convince US government. For some days, if there's still a chance to, to 
Timisio joins the congressman uh, to have some terms to protect their interests, to have more visa numbers, instead of taking visas from them. So that's why, what I'd like to see. Uh, for, and uh, you're welcome to come to China. China's still in the, in the sort of regulated by the COVID-19 policy. So it's not open to welcome to you yet, but maybe within one year, we will see that. I will see you again in China. Hey, Connor, I miss having lunch with you in Shanghai. I think the last time we had lunch was 2018. I'm looking <laughs> forward to hopefully yeah. our next lunch in Shanghai and, and uh, catching up. Yeah. Looking forward to see you again. It, it's, thank you so much on, on behalf of uh, all of us for you know, sharing your insights with us. It's been very helpful. Any other questions, comments, things that investors have, what you hear, please let us know so we can help advocate for, for the investors who have done nothing but you know, generate jobs for the U.S. economy and help our economy. And, and we should welcome more and more investors from China. Thank you. Thank you, Connor. It was very nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you again. Bye-bye. To contact the Investment Migration Report, please email Priya Malik at Priya, P-R-E-E-Y-A at stepglobalgroup.com or Abtin Vaziri at the Investment Migration Report at gmail.com or connect to our pages on LinkedIn and YouTube. Thank you for listening.